ونستعيد ونستغفر ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا لبيت نفس الله The person seek his assistance and forgiveness and receive refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Remember Allah's guidance, there is no one that can lead him astray, and then other Allah made him astray, there is no one that can guide him. And there is no one that can lead him astray, and there is no one that can guide him. Better than that, the best 
to combine the use of gold, water, and some solid substance. And that the same should be used for the solar paper, and after that it should be followed by the use of water, and this is the best way to have complete and perfect training. Al-Imam Nawawi, Alhamdulillah, said that the group from among the earliest scholars and the latest scholars have made agreement or consensus upon the fact that the best way is to combine the use of both of these water and stones, uh, first and then water in order to reduce the amount of Najasa, the uncleanliness and the possibility of that Najasa coming in contact with one plant. After that, follow the use of water. And then we also say that if anyone wanted to use only one of these two things, that either of them were permissible to be used alone, even if both of them were present, it's permissible to use only one of them. But if someone was only going to use one, then it's better to use the solid substance, uh, the, it's better to use the water than to use the stones. And the second point he said, uh, from this hadith we understand that a Muslim should prepare himself or herself when they have to uh, enter the third of nature. They should prepare themselves with that experience in order to clean themselves so that they don't have to stand up and go and get something to complete the practice of Christian death. Church, he said that the Muslim should be careful and take precautions that we can turn to protect oneself from the sight of people because one looking at another person's aura is forbidden. And for this reason, the Bible Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to mean that failure is sick, and have it stuck or placed into the ground so that some piece of cloth or filament could be removed to protect them from the sight of those who might possibly be passed back. And so, the permissibility of using young children for such service, that is, when someone has to answer the call of nature, there is no uh, prohibition from taking the use or the service of young children uh, for such a thing. When this hadith, hadith number 15, is the hadith of Abu Qatada al-Harithi ibn Rabi'i al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِذَا شَرِبَ أَحَدُكُمْ فَلَايَةَ نَفْسَةٍ فِي الْإِنَاءِ If any one of you drinks, then he shouldn't breathe into the container. وَإِذَا أَتَى الْخَلَاءَ فَلَايَ نَفْسَةٍ ذَكَرَهُ بِيَمِينِهِ وَلَايَةَ نَفْسَةٍ بِيَمِينِهِ and if any one of you goes to answer the call of nature, uh, then he should neither touch his private part nor clean himself after answering the call of nature with his or uh, the use of the, of the right hand. Should not use the right hand for either of these two things. Here, the Sheikh, he mentioned that there is ikhtilaf over whether or not the use of the right hand for such a thing is prohibited absolutely, and is it haram, or is it something detectable, makro. And he said that there were two opinions, the opinion of the Zahiriya, the literalist, 
who said that it was haram, and the opinion of the jamur or the majority of scholars who said that it was makroom, and that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told the people or prohibited the people from using their right hand for such in order to develop good manners. From this hadith he said, there are seven points that we may derive from it. The first of them is that we are prohibited from using the right hand to touch the private part while one is in the process of relieving oneself or answering the call of nature. And also it is prohibited to use the right hand for cleaning one's private part after entering the call of nature and also it is prohibited to breathe into the drinking container when one is drinking from it. Also he said that we understand from this hadith that one should try to avoid uh, unclean things and if one was forced to do so to cut something unclean then the left hand should be used. And also from this we understand the excellence or the superiority of the right hand over the left hand. And also uh, the general uh, the giving of concern or attention to cleanliness in general, in general, in all things and especially in uh, our food and drinks which if they became unclean or some uncleanliness uh, or some unclean matter touched them when it could cause harm to our health. And finally he says in this hadith we understand the exalted nature or the loftiness of the Islamic Sharia, the Islamic law, which has commanded us with everything that is beneficial and prohibited us from everything that is harmful. And uh, finally hadith Number 16, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, رضي الله تعالى عنهما, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, who said, مر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بقبرين, that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم passed by two graves, and he said, إنهما لا يعذباني وما يعذباني في كبير. But verily they are being punished, uh, the two of them are being punished in their graves, and they are not being punished for something kabir, for something big or major. Then according to the hadith in Bukhari, <coughs> the Prophet then after that uh, said, in fact they are being punished for something major. Uh, then he said that as for one of them, one of them he did it to protect himself or guard himself from urine when he entered the soul of nature. The Amal Akhar Fakana Yamshi bin Malina and as for the other one, he used to go between the people carrying tail or the things of one person to another person and from the second to a third person in order to cause trouble or problems between them and this is in Malina, carrying tails between people in order to uh, break the peace and to cause confusion, trouble or problems between them. Then he took uh, a palm leaf of stem and he uh, split it in half and he stuck one of those halves of that stem in each one of the days. Then the companions of the Prophet said to him, Ya Rasulullah, 
They said, O Messiah of Allah, why have you done such? He said, لَعَلَّهُ يُخَفَّقُ عَنْهُمَا مَا لَمْ نِبَسَاهُ That perhaps this will lighten or reduce their punishment as long as it remains fresh or moist. Uh, from this hadith, the Shaykh says that um, there is difference of opinion amongst the scholars over the putting of a stem or leaf or branch or flower or some, something like this in the grave of a dead person um, in order to reduce the punishment of that person. And he said that there are two opinions. The first opinion is the opinion of those who said that it is mustahab to do such and they based their opinion on the fact that the Prophet did it and therefore they understood that it is legislated in general for the Muslims. And they said that the reasoning for this, the lightning of the punishment, they understood that this was because that flower or leaf or branch, as long as it is fresh or moist, it continues to make tasbih, to say subhanallah or to declare Allah being perfect and being free from any defects, and as long as that branch remains fresh, making tasbih, then this would be, perhaps it would be a thought of comfort or a cause of light in the grave of that dead person. The second opinion is the opinion of those scholars who said that this is not something legislated um, because in order for us to say that we should do such, there should be a proof, a clear evidence for doing it. And they said that this hadith is not a proof that others should do it. It was a particular or special case of an individual its wisdom is not known to us, and the Prophet never repeated this act upon the grave of any other person. Not only that, but even the companions of the Prophet never repeated this action after the Prophet and the only thing that is recorded in, in reference to this is the fact that Buraida ibn al-Husayd, that he Rabbi Allahu Anhu had advised or requested uh, that such should be done for him, that something should be put upon his way when he died. Um, that's the essence of the discussion. And yeah, I mean, there was one last thing. Uh, they said, those who said that it's not legislated to do such, they said that in fact, um, that uh, everything praises Allah as mentioned in the Quran that there is nothing except that it makes tasbih of Allah uh, so that this is not something particular or peculiar to the fresh branch uh, to the exclusion of the branch that is not fresh so I mean everything in the creation is making tasbih of Allah and finally they said as did Al-Qadi Ayyad that the reason behind the Prophet's action of planting these half of branches in the grave of these two people is something of the affairs or the matters that is unknown, of those things that are unknown to us. And it is, as mentioned in the hadith, it was because of the punishment that was taking place uh, in the grave of these two people. And this punishment in the grave is something that is not known to us. And we are not able to know who is being punished in the grave. And therefore, um, we cannot follow the, that practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not knowing where to place those branches or those leaves etc because that was something that was revealed to him by Allah and it's not something 
that is revealed to us among to us. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentioned six points. The first of them, the affirmation of punishment in the days, and this is the madhab or the opinion of the majority of the Imam or the scholars of the Muslim Ummah. And the second one, uh, that one who doesn't protect himself from al-majasat or unclean things, that this is a cause or reason for uh, the punishment, the punishment that takes place in the grave, and therefore it's obligatory on everyone to take precautions and to protect yourself from these unclean things. The third thing he said that we find from this hadith, or we know from this hadith, the prohibition of an that is, someone going between the people carrying tail or information in order to uh, cause disruption or confusion between them, and that this action of, of carrying tails between the people and Manima is one of the cause, one of the causes of the punishment in the grave. Among the fourth in this hadith, we also see the mercy or the compassion of the Prophet وسلم, for his companions and his great concern to keep them far away from any harm coming to them. Number five, from this hadith we also understand that one should cover the thoughts or the sins of others as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he covered those two people he covered their um, thoughts by covering their identity he didn't reveal to the others who they were. And number six, uh, from this hadith we also can understand from the words of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ma yu'azriban fi kabir that they were not being punished for a sin which was, as he says here, kabir kabir al-farqihi alayhina yani it wasn't something that was big or difficult to avoid it was something that they should have been able to avoid uh, as al-nameema and protecting oneself from the urine when one answers the call of nature is not something that's very difficult to avoid nonetheless the punishment for these two actions uh, is very great and it is because of what they result in Yani and Namima causes disruption and confusion and splitting of the Muslim community and the uh, lack of concern to protect oneself from urine causes one's body or clothing to be sold and therefore falls one's salat uh, that's the summary of the hadith that we took last week and tonight inshallah we would like to talk about a different topic it's also from Kitab uh, Al-Sahara, the book of purification and it is the chapter entitled As-Sirat As-Sirat the shaykh says As-Sirat is pronounced with Kesra Sirat and also is also known by Misrat it is, this word Sirat is a noun which refers to the stick the toothstick that one cleans one teeth with and it also, Asirat, refers to the action of cleaning the teeth with that stick. Yeah, Asirat means it is the name of the instrument that you use to clean the teeth as well as the action of cleaning the teeth with that instrument is called Sirat. Uh, and he says here that it is used for removing the uncleanliness or yellow substance from one's teeth as well as refreshing the mouth as well as uh, it also allows us to achieve a great reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala since it is an act of worship. And then he says uh, that as Sirat is mentioned after the previous uh, hadith 
because a siwaq is one of the sunnim of al-wudu and it is one of the acts of cleanliness that a person should try to perform. It has many benefits which cannot all be mentioned from amongst them is al-nadafa, cleanliness, al-sihha, healthiness, qata' al-ra'iha, al-tariha, yani removing a bad smell from one's mouth, taste and fun, making the mouth have a good taste, تحصيل الثواب Achieving reward from Allah والتباه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم and following يعني using ثواب one achieves يعني a great thing and it is that one is following the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم The first hadith, hadith number 17 is narrated on the authority of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لولا أن أشبت على أمتي لأمرتهم بالسواك مع كل هدوء أو عند كل هدوء. According to the different narrations in Al-Bukhari and Muslim and other books, he said that if it wouldn't be a hardship or if I wouldn't make a burden or heavy burden on my ummah and my followers, the Muslim ummah, then I would have ordered to them. I would have ordered them to use a siraq at every performance of wudu or at every time of salah. And there are different narrations of this hadith. Some of them mention al-wudu and some of them mention al-salah. So here, uh, he says that in this hadith, uh, we find the perfection of the advice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and his love of good for his ummah and his desire that they would not fall into anything uh, which would cause harm to them and his desire to uh, help his ummah to do those things which are beneficial to them and would achieve for them happiness as Sahada in this world and in the next. Uh, and for this reason he encouraged the Muslims to clean their mouth, to make uh, to use a sirat. The Prophet due to what he knew of the many and great benefits of Asirat and the result was a benefit, beneficial result immediately upon its use as well as the future result which may come in the next life as a reward from Allah for this act of worship he used to, well he almost did he almost uh, made it obligatory for the Muslims to use it at every wudu or at every time of salat because of the great benefit he almost he was about to, or he was close to, commanding the people to use it. But because of his great compassion and mercy for his ummah, he feared that Allah would make it far from the Muslims and they wouldn't be able to fulfill that obligation if it was obligatory to use a surat at every time of wudu and at every time of salat, perhaps 
the Muslims would not be able to fulfill such an obligation and therefore they would fall into an act of disobedience. So he, out of fear and mercy and compassion for the Muslims, refrained from causing it to become obligatory. Even though uh, he encouraged in every way the Muslims to use a stewart. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions seven things that are derived from this hadith. The first of them is that it is mustahab to use a stilak. It is mustahab and it has a great excellence of virtue. To the extent that in reward, the reward of using stilak is like the level of the reward from an action that is obligatory. The reward of using stilak is like the reward that one receives from doing an act which is obligatory. Also he says from this hadith it is confirmed that it is legislated in Islam to use a stilak at the time of wudu and at the time of salat. And the Shaykh al-Imam ibn Taqiq al-Eid said that the secret of the use of, or the reason for the use of a stilak while we are able to use a sirat or while we are almost commanded to use a sirat is that a person uh, is expected to be in the most perfect state of purification when they are doing any act by which they hope to get near to Allah such as salat therefore part of the perfection of purification is the use of a sirat at the time of salat as well as for any act of worship and this is to show the high and honored position of al-ibadah that when anyone performs any act of worship it is a uh, it is a recommended or commendable thing that they should be in the most perfect state of sahara and that includes the use of al-tirat to clean the mouth and teeth it is also said by some of the scholars that the reason for the command for the use of Asirat is related to the angels. Yani that the bad smell that might be in someone's mouth causes harm to the angels. And therefore when one goes to pray, they should make sure that their mouth is clean. Al-Imam As-Sana'ani said that it is possible that both of these matters can be combined and they may together be the reason for the use of sirat that is in order that one is in the most perfect condition of purification when we are going to do any act of worship as well as so as not to cause harm to the angels number three he says that also from this hadith we see the excellence and superiority of al-mudu and the excellence and superiority of as-salat when one uses as-salat yani the excellence of the wudu in which one uses as-salat along with that wudu it is better than the wudu in which one doesn't use as-salat and the excellence of as-salat for which one has used as-salat is better than the salat for which one did not use a Also, 
that nothing from this hadith we understand that nothing prevented the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from ordering us or making it obligatory enough to use a sirat except he feared that it would be difficult and that it would be a hardship on the Muslims to fulfill such an obligation. If not for that, then he would have ordered us to do it. And number five, we see in this hadith the perfection of completeness of the compassion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for his ummah and his fear for them. Number six, in this hadith we understand that the Islamic law uh, brings to us ease and not difficulty, no hardship. And the fact that the Prophet didn't make it obligatory makes us to know that the Islamic law requires and wants for us ease and not difficulty. As Allah said in the Quran, but he didn't want difficulty. He wants ease for the people and not difficulty. And finally, he says that there is a qa'idah for a rule, for a principle that's very important, which is derived from this hadith. And these qa'id or these rules or principles that are being mentioned in the course of these lessons are very important that we make note of them because these rules are applicable in general to our understanding of fit and the application of the Qur'an and Sunnah in our life. These principles are, are very important to understand so that we may apply them in general towards our understanding of Islam. The principle that he mentioned here is المفاسد مقدم على جلب المصالح يعني the meaning of this ضرع المفاسد that to fish away to fish away or to report any harm takes precedence over trying to achieve some good if someone for example has the option between two choices either to prevent some harm or to achieve some good, preventing harm has precedence. It is better than trying to achieve good. Yeah, to prevent the harm is better than doing the action from which you might achieve some good. And how do you understand that? That the Prophet did not command us to use Tirah or Misra. He did not prevent, he did not command us to use it in order to prevent some harm coming to the Muslim Ummah if it was obligatory and they did not fulfill the obligation when harm would come to them because they would have fallen into disobedience to Allah. So even though they used to Sirat, there is so much good but rather than to order the people to use it to get that good, he gave precedence to preventing the harm that might come over the possibility of the good that they would get from using. Okay, we may use it, but we didn't make it obligatory for fear of the harm that may come. Uh, the Shaykh says that this Qaida is a Qaida Umumiyya Nafi'ah Jizdan. It is a general principle of great benefit. A general principle, not only applicable to this case, but it can be applied to the Islamic law in general. And it has great benefit, understanding this principle. To avoid harm is better for you than to fall or than to try to achieve some good. When you try to achieve it, perhaps harm will come to you. Then avoid the harm. That's better for you, to avoid the harm, even if it means that you will lose some uh, possible good. 
he said that uh, wise legislators have not commanded the people to use Mithrat uh, or Sirat even though it has so much great benefit in it for fear that if it became obligatory on the people they would not be able to uh, meet that obligation in that case harm, a great harm would come to the people uh, by them abandoning or falling short in some Islamically legislated obligation. The next hadith, hadith number 18, is the hadith of Khadaifa ibn al-Yaman, radiallahu anhu may Allah be pleased with him, that is Khadaifa, and may Allah be pleased with his father, al-Yaman. He said, radiallahu anhu, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام من الليل يشوس سعد بالسواد. وليس سيد رضي الله عنه بس ونبي الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم يسويك في النهار. He used to clean his mouth by using a sewad. Then he used to take the sewad and brush his teeth with it. Whenever he woke up in the night, he used to brush his teeth. The author of Anjad al-Ahkam says that the meaning of Yashushu, whenever you pray for the night, Yashushu sa'ud al-Tiwad, he said that Yashushu means Yadhsilu, or Yadhlifu. That means, it means to wash the teeth, or it means to brush them, to brush them. And some said, Shashahu, Shashahu, Yashushahu, it means, when it is used, Washing. And others said it means cleaning in general, brushing or washing. All of these meanings are similar. And the Shaykh uh, Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman, Ali Bastan, the author of this explanation of Umdat al Ahkan, he says that Yashush, it means brushing the teeth, uh, urban, and from side to side, not up and down, but from one side to the other. And there is a great difference of opinion about this, whether it means brushing it from time to time, or whether or not the mithrat should be used up and down or both. And there is a long discussion uh, in the shaq of Sahih Muslim of Imam Nawawi, and also Al-Hafid al Hadi discussed it. Um, there is no time to go into the details. The important thing that, um, that we should use a sirat, uh, especially at the time when one awakens from sleep at night. Here the Shaykh says, that it was one of the great loves of the Prophet to always be in a state of purification, of cleanliness. And he hated any uh, bad smell. For that reason, whenever he used to wake up in the night, uh, especially and when the night was very long, and it is at that time that perhaps the smell of one's mouth may change during the course of the sleep during a long night. So whenever the Prophet used to wake up in the night, he used to brush his teeth by using a stirrup in order to remove that smell. And also, uh, to activate himself. Or to, after sleeping, to remove that drowsiness of sleeping state by the use of a And this is one of the special characteristics of a 
that it makes one attentive and activates one, even if they were uh, sleepy or drowsy. And this hadith the Shaykh mentioned three things. The first of them uh, is the affirmation of the use of astirak after one has been sleeping in the night. And the reason for this, as we already mentioned, is that it is during the sleep that one, that the odor in one's mouth may change, uh, and therefore it is legislated to use a tirat when waking from sleep. And also in this hadith we understand that a tirat is the instrument, uh, there is an instrument that is used to clean the mouth. And for this reason it is also from the sunnah that one should use a tirat not only when waking from the sleep, but at any time that the smell or the odor in their mouth so the breath changes at any time that there is a change in one's breath, then it is also from the summa to use a tirat. And this is the second thing, that it is legislated to use a tirat at any time that there is a change in one's breath. And this is understood, this meaning is understood from the, uh, the first point. Yani the first point is the use of a tirat when one awakens from the sleep because of the change in one's breath. And what can be understood from that is that any time that there is a change in the smell of one's mouth that the use of this is legislated. And the third and final point from this hadith, he says that we understand from this hadith uh, that in nadafa or cleanliness in general, in all of our affairs, is legislated in Islam. And it is from the sunnah of the Prophet in general cleanliness and it is one of the noble or lofty Ya'ani uh, manners in general for people. Ya'ani cleanliness is something that uh, is a noble uh, or lofty uh, characteristic of the human being. Hadith number 19 uh, is the hadith that is reported and Bukhari, a little different than the way it came in the book, so I prefer to read the narration from Al Bukhari directly. Although the meaning is the same, but the word is slightly different. In the Sahih of Al Bukhari, it is narrated in the Apartheid Aisha Rabbi Allah Anna. She said, Zakala Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Bakr. يَمَعْهُ سِوَاكْ يَسْتَمْنُوا بِهِ That uh, Abdul Rahman, the son of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, رضي الله عنه, رضي الله عنهما, he entered the place of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, and there was a سِوَاكْ that he was brushing his teeth with. فَنَوَرَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم, the Prophet وسلم, began to look at him. And this action took place at the time when the Prophet وسلم, was on his deathbed. Well, I mean, just before he passed away. He was laying in the bed at that time in the arms of Aisha radiallahu anha. And when Abraha Abdurrahman entered using that mitra or kirat, the Prophet وسلم, on his deathbed began to stare at him. Aisha radiallahu anha said, 
فقلت له اعطي هذا الصراط يا عبد الرحمن she said to uh, her brother give me that misra or that siraq O Abdurrahman فأعطانيه then he gave it to me فقصمته then I divided it up into two pieces ثم مغضته فأعطيته رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فاستنى به وهو مستند إلى الصبر شهد I told Abdul Rahman, oh Abdul Rahman, give me that sirat, and he gave it to me. And after he gave it to me, I divided it, or, or split it into two pieces. I chose one of those two pieces and gave it to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then he came to speak with it, and at that time, he was resting against my chest. In the narration, uh, or in another narration, of this hadith, she said, فَرَأَيْتُهُ يَنْظُرُ إِلَيْهِ I saw him looking at Abdurrahman using that mithraq or siraq, فَأَرَقْتُ أَنَّهُ يُحِبُّ السِّرَاق And I knew from that, that he loved to use a siraq. فَقُلْتُ أَعْقُدُهُ لَكْ Shall I take it for you? فَأَشَارَ بِرَأْسِهِ النَّعَمِ When the Prophet indicated by nodding his head, he was about to die. He only could move his head and he indicated, Naam, yes, get it for me. So she took it and she prepared it for his use. And he rubbed his feet with it. According to the narration here in Umbat al-Ahkam, uh, it says, after she gave it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he rubbed his feet with it, she said, فَمَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ she said, I never saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa brush his teeth with siraq better than he brushed his teeth on that occasion. فَمَعَدَا أَنْ فَرَغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And as soon as he finished brushing his teeth, رَقَعَ يَدَهُ He raised his hand, أَوْ إِسْبَعَهُ Or his finger, ثُمَّ قَالَ فِي الرَّقِيقِ أَلْعَعَلَ في الرقيق العالى في الرقيق العالى في تلك الرقيق العالى يعني he was ready to return to الرقيق العالى ثم قضي عليه بن سوف وقتهم فهم and the chef mentioned here that الرقيق العالى it is uh, in reference to uh, what has been mentioned in the Quran يعني of those four groups of people the prophets the martyrs, the righteous, and the truthful. Uh, here, the Shaykh uh, says, the meaning of this hadith here, Aisha radiallahu anha, mentions to us this occasion or this incident which makes clear to us to what extent the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam loved to use a siraq and how he was so attached to it. She said that Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Bakr radiallahu anhumah, her brother, entered the room of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at the time when he was dying. And Abdul Rahman had with him a fresh silat, a fresh toothstick with which he was brushing his teeth. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw Abdul Rahman 
رضي الله عنه even that Sirah even his condition يعني on his sickbed dying on his deathbed didn't prevent him from looking and staring and being concerned with the use of that mitzvah because of his great love for the use of mitzvah so he stared and stared at it like the one who wants something stares at something that they really want Aisha radiallahu anha being very intelligent she understood that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wanted it so she took it from her brother and she cut it and she prepared it uh, by making a new head on the tip of the mitra cleaning it and softening it so that he could easily use it then she gave it to him and he brushed his teeth sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with it then when he finished cleaning his teeth brushing his teeth with that kirat he raised his finger indicating the tawheed of Allah and that he had chosen to leave from this world and return to his Lord to be amongst those who passed before him of the right prophet and the righteous and the truthful and the martyr sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from this hadith he mentions five things the first of them is the use of asirak that is fresh fresh asirak then sometimes we use the misrak which is old and the benefit of the old misrak is not like the fresh misrak it is different in its effect in cleaning the teeth and freshening the mouth and the beneficial and the medical benefits that one gets from misrak in any case even the use of misrak that is not fresh there is a summa of the Prophet to clean one teeth with it and there is a reward there is a reward with Allah in any case but here we understand the great benefit of the fresh sirat also <coughs> preparing the sirat for its use Aisha radiallahu anha prepared it for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by making a, a new head on the end of the sirat as you when you use it for some time you may clip the head and make a new one by clearing the skin with your fingers if it is fresh or if it is not fresh then you may make something else maybe a knife or something but preparing the new head and then chewing it or softening it and preparing it for use but this is also understood from that hadith uh, also from this hadith we understand that uh, one may use someone else's sirat after cleaning it and preparing it for use uh, I mean you may take the sirat from someone and use it also uh, and number four, that one may respond or do something based on what one understands from the ishara and dalala. The ishara and dalala means when someone requests from you or orders you or yani, asks you to do something without speaking, but by ishara or dalala means by signaling or pointing or some other kind of indication as the Prophet indicated that he wanted the Nisra in the first case by staring at it and in the second case according to one narration of the Hadith when Aisha asked him shall I take it for you and he only nodded with his head so from this also we may understand this is these are those who are pointed to in Surah Al-Nisa in the saying of Allah Ta'ala Al-Ladheena An'ama Allahu Alayhim Min Al-Nabiyyeen Wa Siddiqeen Wa Shuhada Wa Salihin 
that is, those who Allah has granted his blessings or his favors, his ni'mah to them from amongst and nabiyin, the prophet, the siddiqin, the truthful, the shuhada, the martyrs, the salihin, the righteous. Ar-Rafiq al-A'la, though it appears to be in the singular, is actually plural, and it doesn't actually refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it refers to those whom Allah has given his favor to, the prophets, the martyrs, the righteous, and the truthful. And the last hadith, hadith number 20, is the hadith of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, or as it came in the Sahih of Muslims on the Sahih of Bukhari, exactly it was married on the authority of Abi Burdaka and Abi, yani the son of Abu Musa al-Ashari married from his father, Allahu anhu, that he said, Ataytu an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fawajidtuhu kastannu bistirakin fi yadihi yakul, uh, uh, وَالْقِرَاكُ فِي فِيهِ كَأَنَّهُ يَتَحَوَّعُ That means Abu Musa al-Ashari, so his son, said he heard his father Abu Musa رضي الله عنه saying that I came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وَهُوَ يَسْتَاقُ بِالْقِرَاكُ أو هو وَوَجَدْهُ يَسْتَنُّ بِالْقِرَاكِ بِيَدِهِ I found him uh, cleaning his mouth or brushing his teeth with a siwak or miswak that was in his hand and he was saying uh, uh, as though he was coughing or choking or the sound that comes from one's throat when they are about to vomit uh, he was making this sound and the miswak was in his mouth in the back of his mouth close to his throat not as one is normally using miswak on their teeth, but it was inside of his mouth, in the back of his tongue. Uh, it was as though he was choking or about to vomit or throw up. Uh, <coughs> in the narration of Imam Muslim, he said, Paula وَقَرَقُوا السِّوَاكِ عَلَى لِسَانِهِ يعني the end of the siwak was on his tongue on the back of his tongue as Al-Hafid ibn Hajj al-Asqalani mentioned the, the end, the tip of the miswak was on his tongue, not on his teeth at that point when he saw him using the miswak so the shaykh uh, briefly mentioned that Abu Musa al-Ash'ari رضي الله عنه mentioned that he came to the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم while he was cleaning his teeth with siwak or with a fresh siwak because the first Tirat is, is more perfect in its ability to clean. Uh, and he had placed the Tirat on his tongue. And he was means that um, he was I don't know. <laughs> he was going to the extreme. You say Balak when you go to the furthest end of something. Yeah, I mean he stuck the Nisrat to the furthest end of his tongue. Not just in the front, but to the furthest end of his tongue. Yeah, as though he was almost going to vomit or throw up. From this hadith, he says there are three points derived from it that it is legislated to use the fresh 
or to brush one's teeth with a fresh sirak. And also that a sirak or brushing one's teeth or cleaning one's teeth with this toothstick is a form of ibadah and a means of getting close to Allah. It is a form of ibadah and it is a means of getting close to Allah. There is a hadith in this meaning which I can't recall right now. That's correct. Uh, there is a hadith in which the Prophet said, Masaharatun lil fam maradatun lil rab. That a sirat is a form of cleanliness for the mouth as well as it is a source of seeking the pleasure of your Lord. So from this hadith we can understand that uh, it has two main benefits. One of them is cleaning the mouth and another one is earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second point that we derive from this hadith is that it is legislated <coughs> to use the miswak, al-mubalata, the tasawwuf, to use it uh, as best as you can, to even go to the extreme of its use. Because uh, using it in such a manner uh, leads to the protection of the cleanliness of one's mouth. And uh, the final point that he mentions from this hadith that also one may use the sirak to clean one's tongue not only one's teeth, uh, teeth use the sirak to clean one's tongue sometimes yani sometimes the Prophet وسلم, not only cleaned his teeth with the miswak but he also cleaned his tongue so this is what we derive from these hadith and this is the end of the chapter of Al-Sirah and insha'Allah uh, in our next meeting we will take the chapter Da'ab Al-Nasr Al-Al-Qusayn or writing over one fact if there are any comments or corrections or questions insha'Allah they are still remaining uh, 5 or 10 minutes before the Adhan insha'Allah so are there any questions about what we discussed uh, this evening or any comments now trouble. Is it allowed or is it yeah, from the Sunnah? Yeah. Is it allowed as for your first uh, or the first option that we might understand from your work? Is it allowed to raise one finger? Four fingers at the time of saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Or is it from the Sunnah to do so? Um, as far as I know, it is definitely allowed to do so. And from this hadith, we can see that the Prophet وسلم, uh, did raise his finger, indicating the oneness of Allah, the tawheed of Allah. Uh, is it sunnah to raise the finger at the time of saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah? It is sunnah to raise the finger, the forefinger of the right hand, at the time of saying La ilaha illallah in the tashahud of salat. Not only at the time of saying Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, but in the tashahud of salat from the beginning of it to the end of it. From the beginning of it to the end of it. As for 
the raising of the finger only at the time of saying La ilaha Allah in the tashahud, this is not uh, the practice of the Prophet to only raise the finger at the time of saying La ilaha Allah. In general, outside of the salat, um, I am not aware of any particular hadith that uh, indicates that one, that it is some sunnah to raise the hand, but in general you can understand that uh, from this hadith you can understand that the raising of the finger is an invitation of the tawheed or the uniqueness uh, of Allah. It is, as far as I know, permissible, but to say it is sunnah whenever anyone says la ilaha illallah to raise the finger, um, that I don't know the proof to it, although um, there are many of our yeah, scholars or learned people who might in the course of the khutbah, for example, raise their finger when saying la ilaha Allah, if there is really a hadith uh, indicating the specific practice of the Prophet uh, at this time I don't recall such. If, I, if there is such a hadith, I don't recall it. No, I am worried about this. This is not a good hour. Or if it is a bid'ah. I am worried about that. Well, we should find a proof for it if anyone does it all the time. To do it at some time or another, I think there is no harm in such. As the Prophet raised his finger to indicate the tawheed of Allah. Uh, to say to do it all the time is uh, what needs uh, a proof. That should be confirmed by some proof. And Allah knows that. The question is, since we know that Kiwat is not available in some parts of the world, uh, is it permissible to use toothbrush, regular normal toothbrush in the place of Kiwat? And if so, which one is preferable? Okay, if both are available, which one is preferable? Um, for sure, Kiwat is not available in every place in the world. Um, but it's available, yani, perhaps not available in that it's growing there, but it's available, we can get it from other places. We're coming there and there are today, everything is closed. Uh, we should make the effort to get it. If it's not available, if it's not growing where we're living, then we should try to get it. It's good. Um, if it's not available, for sure, you may brush your teeth with a toothbrush, you may brush it with your finger, you may brush it with whatever is available for you to brush it with. No problem. It's permissible. If both of them are available, is it preferable to use the misweight? For sure it's preferable. It's preferable first because the Prophet used it. It's only to follow him. One of the benefits of Astiwak is Astiwak, Al-Istiwak, following the Prophet Sallallahu what he did. Secondly, it's preferable because it is more beneficial in cleaning the mouth and more complete in uh, protecting the mouth from certain germs and diseases of the mouth as has been proven by non-Muslim doctors today. They have done research on such and found that the use of the fresh mitzvah actually not only cleans the mouth but prevents so many dental diseases that are not prevented by the use of the toothbrush and any kind of toothpaste that you may find. So at least for these two reasons, the use of mitzvah is preferable. 
to follow the Prophet and also because of the medical benefits from the Misrach that are not achieved by the use of toothbrush. And uh, you may use the toothbrush brushing up and down or across, but according to some scholars, uh, it is preferable to use it across, and others said no, that's not so, and Allah knows best. Um, I did read about this long, some long time ago, which I don't remember in detail that discussion, but I remember that there are different opinions, and perhaps the most common opinion is to brush it across. Yeah, I mean from right to left or from left to right, and some of them, uh, yeah, I mean even gave details on exactly how to do it, whether to start with the lower teeth or the upper teeth, whether to start with the right side of the mouth or the left side of the mouth, and how to proceed from one end to the other in detail. Some of the scholars discussed this, and even now we relate this discussion. I didn't have a chance this evening to go back and review it, but um, if anyone wants, you may find it, inshallah, by going back to those books that we've switched to discuss. The use of it. So, yeah. Any other comments or questions? Up there. Now, all the questions of the ladies along the I don't know, uh, it looks like many questions. Uh, did the Prophet wash his hands before the use of a Sirak at night when he awakened from his sleep? The Prophet the first thing he used to do when he waited from sleep is to wash his hands. And also in some hadith it is mentioned that he used to keep his sirat near him by his bed and he used to uh, he used to um, use his mitrat when he, whenever he awakened from sleep. Um, the second question, did he use his left hand to brush his teeth with sirat? Uh, it's not clear as far as I know from any of the hadith did the Prophet use his left hand or his right hand? Uh, although some of the scholars said that it is mustahab, not obligatory, but some scholars said that it is mustahab to use the left hand to hold the sirat. And this is the opinion of Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, and he said that it is mustahab to use the left hand because a sirat is a means of purification or cleaning and cleanliness from one's mouth. And in general, the left hand is used to remove uncleanliness or any, yeah, any unclean thing, as we do in Istinja uh, and so on. Some scholars said though that that's not absolute because the use of Sirat is not only for cleanliness, but it's also to refresh in the mouth, and it's also just a pure act of worship. If one's mouth is already clean, you may use Miswak before performing prayer as an act of worship, not as a means of cleanliness. So it's not something absolute that the use of the left hand is preferable, but this is the opinion of some of the scholars and Allah knows that. Preferable, yani mustahab, not obligatory. This is a long question, a long silence. If one forgets the way in which one has washed, is it necessary to start over again? Or start from what we are sure of? Does the toothbrush of today fulfill the requirements of Sirat? That's the tooth of Sirat. Okay, answer the first question. If one forgets the order in which one has washed, that is, the order is not obligatory according to the most correct opinion. 
So it's not a necessity to repeat the wudu if someone forgets the order. Yeah, and he does something out of order, it's permissible. Um, you don't have to start all over again, nor from what you left off, but you may continue and complete the wudu. As long as you wash every part of the body that should be washed in wudu. Those are the two questions today to fill the requirements of a siwak into the substitute for it. It's not a substitute for it, but it can be used in the absence of a siwak. And some said even in the presence of siwak you may use it, and Allah knows best. But uh, it appears to me um, that, uh, as some of the scholars have said, that the Sirach has many benefits, and one of them is that it's an act of worship. And if we use it not only for cleanliness, but to, to perform an act of worship by using Sirach, then we have to use Sirach. We cannot do it with something other than what the Prophet did it with. Yani as an act of worship. As a, as a form of cleanliness, then you may use anything that cleans your mouth, and Allah knows best. Uh, is it true that he is going to also bless his son on the top of it? Ma'am, it's true that he bless his son. Um, is that why he fell out of the and saying, oh, oh, ma'am, that's right. Um, you have already answered this question earlier. Should the thing that you raise and move up and down or back and forth when reciting the road Sharif, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, and salat, Allahumma sta'an. Should the finger be raised? The finger should be raised when making a tashahud. It should be raised. Should it be moved up and down or back and forth? Yeah, I mean, uh, from right to left or up and down. Um, Allah knows best about this, and I don't know that there is any proof or any clear text in the Sunnah uh, which indicates how it should be moved. But there is proof that there is, uh, that it should be, there is authentic hadith which indicates that the Prophet used to point his finger, point it, when he was making tashahud, and he used to point it straight, and hold his finger stiffly, not bending it, not bending it, as is found in some weak hadith, that he used to hold his finger in a bent position or curved position. He didn't used to hold it in a curved position, but he used to hold it straight. And uh, it is also indicated in the hadith, it's confirmed in authentic hadith that he did use to move his finger. But how he used to move it, whether it was up and down or from left to right, Allah knows best. In any case, uh, the important thing, the finger should be straight when you are moving it in either direction. It should be straight, not curved. And it's confirmed that he used to move it uh, from the beginning of the shadows until the end, in Allah knows best. Any other comments? Huh? Is there any reason for moving the finger? Mm. I don't know if there is reason for moving the finger, but there is hadith in which the Prophet Sallallahu indicated that this is a shaddu ala shaitan, that this is more uh, difficult and the shaitan or more harmful to him, the pointing of the finger in tashahud, than uh, a piece of iron or steel. Whether or not that includes the moving of the finger or only the pointing of the finger, Allah knows best. But as I remember the hadith, it seemed as though he was indicating the pointing of the finger. And while he was pointing, he used to move it. So you can take them together. And Allah knows best. Now. Sometimes when they are using this class, yes. moving it from side to side with the intention in the heart of La ilaha illallah, I don't know of anything like this. I don't know. Really. Whoever said such, we can ask them, it's better 
It's better that we ask them when to deny it without knowing if they have some proof. I never heard such, and I didn't read it anywhere. Perhaps they have some proof for it, although I doubt it. It is not advisable to do such unless there is some proof for it, because any act of worship uh, is not beneficial. And in fact, it may be harmful to us unless it is based on the law of Allah, yani something from the Quran or from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We don't have the right to do any act of worship or have any intention to seek the pleasure of Allah in anything that we do unless we first know that that act is legislated. And we should do it as it is legislated by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Otherwise, anything we do, seeking the pleasure of Allah, or seeking to get near to Allah, or intending it as an act of worship, if there is no proof for it, then we will be blamed for such, and we may be punished for it. Kissing the Qur'an. Yeah, we see people kissing the Qur'an, but if they have some proof for such, I seriously doubt it. I believe there is no proof, but I didn't read any scholar saying kissing the Qur'an uh, has no proof. I didn't read it. But of course we didn't see the scholars doing such. In any of the countries that we visited, we didn't see it in Mecca, nor in Medina, nor in the scholars in other Muslim countries. We didn't see the scholars of Sunnah doing such. We never heard them recommending it. And we didn't see it in the books dealing with the manners or adab of reading Qur'an. Many of the scholars like Imam Nawi rahimahullah wrote about what is the conduct of a Muslim for reading Qur'an or handling the Qur'an and also the hadith concerning these matters of Imam Bukhari and Muslim and we didn't find those scholars mentioning any such thing as kissing the Qur'an before reading it or after it. It is unlikely that there is any sunnah indicating such. Perhaps these people are doing it with the intention that they love the Qur'an so much and they're showing their love. But if we love the Qur'an, we should do as the Prophet did. He showed his love of Qur'an by reading it constantly, reflecting on its meaning, and trying to practice it in his life. This is how we show our love for the Qur'an. Now. And uh, your type of audience, sometimes uh, you, you, or you feel that it's great, but no sound is no more than coming out. What do you do? The Prophet said that if someone is in Salat and they have some feeling or idea that they pass with, yeah. he said, do not leave your Salat until or unless you smell some smell or hear some sound. Okay? If you are in Salat, don't leave the Salat. But if you are out of the Salat, then it's better that you should go and make your rule. If you are in Salat, don't leave the Salat. The general rule in any case is that if anyone is certain that they have a state of Sahara purification and they are uncertain that they break that state of Sahara or avoid it or nullify it, then we should go with that which you are certain about. You are certain that you made wudu and you are not sure did you break wudu or not at some point. Then you have wudu. And the opposite is also true. If you remember that you broke your wudu by passing wind or urinating or defecating or something, and you don't remember, did you make wudu after that? You don't remember. When you are sure you broke your wudu, you are not sure that you made wudu, then you have to go with that which you are certain of and don't make wudu again. This is the general rule. 
But in the case of Salat, the Prophet said that anyone who is in Salat, if they have a feeling that they, they can't win. But he said, do not leave the prayer until you hear some sound or smell some smell. And that, the scholar said, means the hearing of the sound or smelling the smell makes you to know that you did in fact pass wind. Until you know for sure that you passed wind, you should not leave the salat. But, this also we can understand from this, as the scholars said in discussing this very hadith, they said, if you know for sure that you passed wind, but you didn't smell anything, nor did you hear it sound, but you are sure that you passed wind, then you must leave the salat. You must go and make your go. Because the hearing of the sound or smelling of the smell is only for you to be certain that you broke wudu after having wudu. So when you hear that sound, you become certain you broke wudu, you must leave. If you smell that smell, you become certain that you broke wudu, so you must leave. And even if you didn't hear any sound or smell any smell, but you are certain you broke wudu, then you have to go and let wudu, if you are certain. The hearing and the smelling is only for certainty. If you became certain by some other means, Okay, it's the same. You have to go and make your wish. Subhanakallah wa bihamdika. Now, I'm making the fingers in the chat. Is there any sunnah or proper way how to... In salat? No, yes, yeah, in salat. We said already that when you are pointing the finger in salat, that you should point it straight. Only not to bend the finger curve, but you should point it straight. And how you should move it, I don't know anything in any text that you should move it this way or this way. We mean, we mean, we mean if you are sitting in Fashakot, you are sitting with your hand on your plate and you point your finger. Your, your hand is on your knee and you are pointing your finger. And you may move it side to side or up and down along with that which way you may move it. I don't know any hadith or any scholar who said specifically which way it should be moved. But definitely you should move it, it's from the sunnah, and definitely you should not have your finger curved, but it should be straight, pointing straight. And Allah knows that. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayhi.